Welcome to the Sydney Film Festival Talks podcast series, Keeping It Real. This series showcases several of the filmmaker talks that were held throughout the Sydney Film Festival in June 2022. In this episode of Keeping It Real, meet the wonderful artist Del Catherine Barton as she and some of the other filmmakers involved in the film take us through this unique project. Enjoy. Sandy George and on behalf of the Sydney Film Festival I welcome you to this panel discussion about the film Blaze. It'll go for about an hour and there'll be time for your questions at the end. We are going to assume that we can't do spoilers because most of you will have just seen it. It's one of 12 films in competition. I acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet, and I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. And I also acknowledge and pay respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who might be in the room. Blaze, we were with her the whole way. It is so bold and visual as a film, and it's actually about something. And frankly, I just walked out and thought... Thank Christ Australia makes films like that. So please give them a round of applause. And that's even before I've introduced them. So next to me is um, Daryl Catherine Barton who is a visual artist, has won the Archibald twice with a self-portrait and also a portrait of Hugo Weaving. She has made two shorts before, but this is her debut feature. Next to her is Julia Savage. You know her best as Blaze, let's face it. (laughs) (laughs) And next to Julia is um, Sam Jennings, who is the producer of the film and half of Causeway Films. And there's two Australian films in competition only, and they're both from Causeway, which is pretty damn special, I reckon. (laughs) So I really want to get to the script writing first. Um, Daryl co-wrote the film with Hannah Awiromo. Awiromo. I knew I'd get that wrong. Sorry, Hannah. She is in the room. I want to get to the script, but I just first thought we'd start with how... Dell and Sam got together. When, where, how was it over the film? I first met Dell in Berlin, strangely. It was at Berlin Film Festival and Dell's short film, The Nightingale and the Rose, was in competition. And we had this incredible conversation that was just all about how is there a, a different way to develop stories? How is there a different way? Like the possibilities of film are so vast and yet the way it's done tends to be the same, same, same. And, like, how could we break that open? And, you know, in particular reference to Del and her practice, how can you make that more visual and instinctual and sensory and not sort of get stuck into this kind of rote mode of storytelling? And that was a really inspiring conversation to me. And then it was only, I think it was like six months later, Del came to me with this idea about a girl who accidentally witnesses a rape and how that... And, in fact, she was quite inspired by Puff the Magic Dragon, the song, and she talked about, I mean, you can probably talk about this, <laughs> but she talked about, she was so moved by that song and, in particular, that idea that a child can come to a point or have an experience where, as the song puts it, you cease your mighty roar and that that idea was so heartbreaking and that how could a girl who was almost broken by something fight to save that inner roar? 
and we kind of went from there. Did she represent you properly just then? She did. I mean, <laughs> one thing I can say about Causeway um, and in particular Sam Jennings, who I've worked just incredibly closely with now for four years, is that she is a hardcore creative producer and there are not enough of those. I mean, the conversations have been very robust. She does not say yes to me all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And thank goodness the film is stronger because of that. But having said that, she always listens. She wants to go on a journey. She wants to tread into unknown places. She wants to support unique voices. She wants to support women's voices, marginalised voices, and make important work, make work that affects audiences, that feeds audiences, that that hopefully makes a difference. Dool, I know that that terrible statistic about Australia, one woman killed every week, was a big spark for this film. And also, you know, you have said personal experience was also a spark. But I really want to know, like, how did you get from there to the film? How did you think I'm going to build on that theme into a film? And was it always a coming-of-age story? I feel uh, I'm very passionate about films that are genre-defying. I mean, certainly if you had to place this film within a Within a genre, you would definitely call it a coming-of-age film. But I think, look, on one level, obviously I'm a very inexperienced filmmaker, but that gives me a lot of liberty as well. Often I'm aware that I'm breaking rules that I'm not even aware exist. (laughs) Um, Look, it's a massive question and it is so hard often to talk in a very succinct way about a, a creative journey. I do work very instinctually, which is hard with film craft. For me, there were the the big emotional beats and then I just start seeing the film and feeling the film. I can write. I'm not trained as a script writer. I find writing very hard. I'm very slow and I just lack an understanding of structure. So the challenge of getting it on the page was immense and I could not have been more supported Uh, One of um, Sam's many great talents as a producer is her capacity to pair the right creatives. You know, the outcome is only ever as good as the quality and the authenticity of the collaborative energy. And Sam pairing me with the beautiful Hannah, it was not only love at first sight, but just love at first conversation. I mean, we are different as women. She comes from a younger generation than I do, which brought enormous agency Um, to the writing process. And I love tenacity. I I love being in a safe place where you can swear at each other and unpack shit and just fucking go there. Like, it's that kind of film and it was that kind of writing process. Hannah's over there in red. Can everyone look at her and can you give us a wave? (laughs) So... So, Sam, you were more involved in the script, as I understand it, as perhaps a producer would ordinarily be expected to be. (laughs) Can you tell us from your point of view how you ended up with a final script? I guess the thing was always, really to the end, how do we take Del's vision, and I mean that like, you know, as an artist, she has a very deep, detailed layered and very unique vision 
and voice and put and kind of soul and put that into a film language that you can write on a page and then make. <laughs> um, and that was, you know, it was a constant kind of process. And then really the big thing for us was, and I would, and, and, and Hannah was very much part of this process as well, how do we do that without diluting or watering down or kind of losing what is fierce and original and personal about that voice, right? So how do you do that and keep it true, you know? Um, so it was a really a process of finding language for that aesthetic vision, and not just aesthetic, emotional vision and sensorial vision, and that kind of process of finding language for it, both in words on a page but also film language for it. Like what would you see? What is the scene? What is happening, you know, without diluting it. And so we ended up with a script that actually we had images in the script because we're kind of developing the visual at the same time. So there were sort of style frames and dragon designs and we had images of, you know, women in the fire and on the beach and, you know, like in the script because it actually just didn't feel right to just have it be words on a page. Um, So that was just one way that we felt like we could start to communicate and give a concreteness to this crazy descriptions of insanity on the page. (laughs) (laughs) My little lol anecdote is the amount of times Sam Jennings and probably Hannah as well said to me, DKB, there's just too many adjectives. Too many adjectives. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sam, there is this feeling that, you know, inner worlds are the stuff of literature, not film. You know, that you have to have kind of two characters at least interacting. Yeah. There's drama. Yeah. So did that part of it, did you enjoy ignoring that part of it? Did you think about it in those terms or just no? No, I think that drama can be absolutely in a drama. And, yeah, I, I just think there is so much room to explore inner worlds in film. Um, Shakespearean. <laughs> Worlds within worlds within, and psychologically, you know, I mean, I don't know, it's an emotional, psychological medium. It doesn't have to be two people interacting, it can be someone interacting with, yeah, three different layers of themselves. I think that that's actually really interesting filmmaking. So, no, I didn't feel we, I don't, we, I mean, one of the great things about working with first time filmmakers as well, and also particularly one who is very evolved in their own right creatively, is you just don't have to, as Del said before, you don't have to. You don't know the rules well enough that you don't know them. You don't, you're not confined by them in the same way. Yeah. You just want to forge your own path. So, Do you think it will change how you work on scripts in the future? No, I think every script. I mean, I've worked in a script for a long, long time and on very different scripts, and I, I think every single one is its, own, is its own beautiful beast. Yeah. Julia, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, but can I just touch on something first? I mean, obviously this is a film with adult themes and I believe you were 12 when you did it. Sam, how did you as a production company kind of protect Julia and then how was that from your point of view, Julia? Um, Obviously we were very aware, even from the very early stages of the writing process, of the responsibility to the person playing Blaze, um, particularly because we did want it to be a young person. We didn't want it to be like a 20-year-old pretending to be <laughs> 13. So we put a lot of mechanisms in place. We were, um, you know, we had a lot of different support systems around Julia. We talked very closely. We also needed, of course, to involve her family, her mum, Charlotte, who's here, who was amazingly supportive. Um, we had a lot of different kind of consultancy coach 
type of people. We had an intimacy coordinator. We talked quite in depth with Julia. The intimacy coordinator talked very in depth with Julia about what she was and wasn't okay with. And there was a lot of kind of processes around that to make absolutely sure. We also obviously did not film the attack with Julia present. I think also Yael, who plays the woman who's attacked, was very conscious of making sure Julia was empowered and supported, as was Simon, as was Josh. I mean, it was, and the crew, actually, the whole, yeah. There was, the entire environment was dedicated to that from the beginning. Yeah. Julia, is she telling the truth? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, from the second that I, you know, walked into even the last audition, there was an air of support and real comfort and excitement about what we were potentially going to make. And I'll tell you now, there was never a moment on set or in pre-production where I felt unsafe or unheard or in a state of discomfort because, as Sam said, there was a strong duty of care towards me because I was quite young. Um, But especially regarding the content, it was important to be able to have trust with cast and crew, and I'm so lucky to have had that with Del, Sam, and everyone involved. Um, Simon and Yael were amazing in their mentorship on set in taking care of me and making sure that to keep it light even during the more intense scenes and I'm really grateful that we got to do that. Yeah but you knew everything that was in the film you knew the entire story etc. Yeah Yeah. I did. Can you take us to the time when you first heard about the film and what your reaction was and the casting process? Uh, Well I was sent the film by my agents and I, I read the script and, you know, it's not often that you get sent the whole script to read. And as Sam said, there were just pictures in between it. And it's the first script I've seen that have visuals in between the words. So you get a real sense of what it would look like. And from the second I finished reading it, I knew it was something really special. And being able to have such a traumatic event um, through the eyes of a 12-year-old girl is uncommon in this genre. And I think that to have that experience through a child's eyes rather than through the eyes of the affected and the attacked is really powerful. And I just knew it was something I wanted to be involved in. Yeah. And I understand it was unusual how you were directed. Tell us about that. Uh, Well, for most of shooting, I had an earpiece and Del would direct me through that. And she was really inside my head. And (laughs) (laughs) being able to have that level of connection and not be broken out of a scene by someone shouting action or do this or do that was really amazing because especially, as I said, regarding the content, it was important to stay connected to that. And when you're acting off of a puppet, it's really good to be able to stay connected with everyone on set and just have this this bond. You'd want to like her voice, wouldn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just say um, as an adjunct to that, again, as an inexperienced director, it was an incredible privilege to me to this sort of idea of consent, which is a big um, concept the whole way through, this sort of consent from Julia to inhabit her form and go to these places with her. So it was a, it was a very shared experience in that, in that way. I mean, moving forward, and you can't ask these things of experienced actors, yeah, that symbiotic connection of working together in that, in that way was a very profound experience for me. Why can't you make the request of adult actors? Maybe I will. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you were talking to her, what, you, what were you conscious of? Look, many things, but more than anything, the place that Blaze was at emotionally. And 
It's a very tough journey that Blaze goes on. I think poor Julia at the end. <laughs> and she, uh, I, I'm nervous sharing this because she's so, so amazing, but it was only right at the end she was like, Del, I have no tears left. <laughs> It was like, bring on makeup, only once. Yeah. <laughs> it might not have, it wasn't shown the amount of times that there was crying during shooting because, you know, at the end when you do, am I, well, I'd say spoilers, right? When you do Slay Your Dragon, that's kind of the moment. But there was a, a lot going on and towards the end, I was the point where she gets her period and as we called it, the blood volcano. Um, it was 11 p.m. at night and I was very cold. Um, I was lying on the bed and I was supposed to um, not realise that there was blood spurting everywhere. So I had to lay still and, you know, there was blood in my eyes that really felt like eucalyptus oil, I won't lie. Um, but, you know, it was amazing because during that I was allowed the time to just have a break, have a Sprite, Name some countries with the intimacy coordinator and then get back into it. But it's pretty crazy. It's not every day you lie on a bed in, you know, hot pink pyjamas and get covered in blood. <laughs> Your performance is amazing. So, um, <laughs> Amazing. I mean, at the time, do you think about what the scene's doing or what the overall journey is or who Blaze is or actually don't you have time to think anything because their Del is in the <laughs> nah, nah, nah. Always. Oh, well, in pre-production, Del and I did spend a lot of time just alone together and at the very start we had sheets of paper with all of the big scenes and beats and, you know, eventually that was stuck on my trailer and we'd take them off in, like, achievement as we finished them. But we just spent time writing down words we would associate with that and kind of thinking how we'd feel about that scene. And I really was able to be immersed in Blaze's world. I decorated so much of her room, her headphones. I was able to, you know, critique things I don't think she would do. And I digress, but on, like the cicada that she's lying with, the heart, the, the dragon, Zephy, everything was essentially physical. And being able to be part of such a practical film is such an uncommon experience like you don't get to crawl through guts every day at work um so I was so lucky to have been a part of that and be able to be part of the creative experience but when it did come to the scenes I think there was just so much creativity and so much emotional debris really everywhere in every scene that we shot that there wasn't really a thought process of what was happening it was just this is what we're doing here now and especially when you are with a puppet I did form a connection with Zephy on the last day we were with him. One of his feathers fell off his head and I took it with me for the rest of shooting. Yeah, it was amazing to be able to not have to, I guess, workshop or practice those scenes and just be able to dive in head first and do what you felt was right. Yeah. What do you think you learnt most from the other actors in the film? I think to just take a breath and be a bit more confident in yourself because when we were filming the bus scene, I was very anxious to, you know, lose it in front of a bunch of strangers. Again, not something you do every day. But I think that Simon on the Friday, it's weird that I know this, but on Monday we shot a bus scene. On the Friday I shot the scene with Simon and he was just telling me that, you know, to relax and, that, you know, be confident that I've got this. And it was really amazing to be able to have that support from both Simon and Yael. There was a short scene that's in the film that we shot where Yael and I walked on a beach into the flaming ocean that wasn't actually flaming. It's fine, guys. Um, <laughs> but it was really cold, again. 
Um, and we were holding hands and we walked in together and we were just like going, oh my God, what if there's a shark? It's so cold. My toe just got bit by something. And to be able to have that relationship and not have any distance because of age or experience was really amazing. Can I just get some nuts and bolts of the film? Because I know otherwise I'll get that question. How long was the shoot? How long was pre? Was post extra long because of so many elements? Um, yes. Pre was five weeks. Shoot was five weeks, which was really short. Mm-hmm. Especially because we had a 12-year-old, so you can only shoot, she can only shoot nine hours a day. Uh, mm-hmm. And post was longer. <laughs> very, very long. <laughs> than usual because for you, because you were waiting to see the film. But just because it was a lot of VFX and a lot of sound and we had to edit in two sort of chapters because we, there was so much VFX that we needed to edit, stop, do a bunch of the VFX and then come back to the edit. So yeah, it was, a, it was a long post, but we always knew that was the case, but it was a short shoot, yeah. And did you have a lot of locations? Yes, yes, we did. Yes, we, I mean, the little bedroom, Blazer's bedroom was a set. Yeah. Everything else was location. Where, where did you build the set? ABC Studios in our town. <laughs> it was really, really cool because, as Sam said, it was literally just four walls and they were painted and decorated and a really customisable space. And we did have a lot of locations, you know, we were running on a beach and we were in the laneway and, you know, that was a... Court case, therapist, yeah, it was quite... Yeah, therapist office. And we were, I mean, everyone's so sick of talking about COVID, but we were the first Screen Australia funded film to go into production in that first COVID period. It was a little nerve wracking. Speaking of the laneway, it is horrific, the opening scenes in that lane. And I just wondered how... You battered that between you in terms of what we were going to see on screen, the fact that it was so early on in the film. You know, how did you think about that? What was worrying you about that? What, yeah, whatever you want to say about it. Well, I'll, I'll let Del speak to it in a sec. I, it was something we were incredibly conscious of and talked a lot about from the very beginning to the very end, like literally still now. <laughs> it's like all through the writing process with Hannah, all through the making process, it was something we never stopped talking about and thinking about um, because it was really important that it was raw and real enough that it propelled the, everything that happened after that and also that there was an honesty to it that, and, that was, and it was told primarily from those two female characters' experience and the experience they share together in that moment. I'll let Del speak a little bit more about it, but we, it was always very, very much a deep and multifaceted conversation between us all. Something that I'm incredibly passionate about and still there is not not enough opportunity is for women to be now telling women's stories. We had a slogan up on one of our whiteboards in the writing room. I looked at it the other day actually. I mean four years later it's crazy. It's still there and it read in capital letters rape as a female experience. Look, it's very hard content. Everything was important to me about this scene. But to my point, I wanted it to feel as authentically visceral to a truthful female experience as I could and it not feel like, at the same time, like a a sort of David Attenborough scene. So these are are still hard things to talk about. I had a response um, in New York recently from a, a female audience member because there has been um, a lot of complexity around this this scene. And she was sitting right in the front row, and it was the first question from the audience on our first 
screening. And she just said, I just want to thank you and congratulate you. She said, I've seen a lot of violence against women on the big screen. And for me, this is one of, if not the most truthful, authentic rape scenes I've ever seen. You know, a strange thing to talk about, but it really meant everything to me in that moment. And I felt that that was a huge gift from the universe for me in terms of how we had approached the storytelling and what an incredibly tough journey that has been. You worked with incredibly experienced people as heads of department. You earlier said that Sam didn't always say yes to you. (laughs) Um, How was it just conveying your vision for the film, given that you're not experienced in film as much as they are? I mean, as I said earlier, you have done two shorts. And did they often say no to you? And was there a sort of common thread when they did? It's such a great question and there were a lot of lulls. I'm, as you know, I'm primarily a fine artist. I'm used to being completely in control. I'm a detail freak. I'm unapologetic about everything I do. And the look of the film meant so much to me, clearly. My amazing production designer, Alex Holmes, who... I haven't seen actually for two years and I saw him last night and I just walked up to him and I said, I am so sorry. (laughs) I just, um, I sort of feel like we're all on one level in this beautiful, glorious, chaotic world of creative pain together. But there were always, there was always so much generosity and support. It's that kind of project. Um, but at the point, that it, and every head of department had a slightly different way of communicating it. But when there was a no, I was very respectful to that no. <laughs> and was there, there weren't a, that many no's. There I'm weren't that many no's. There really wasn't. Was there a common thread to the no's? <laughs> Maybe the unspoken words were, are you fucking serious? <laughs> Mainly when something was literally physically like impossible. It was like, can we put giant kangaroos on the beach? Yes. Can we do yes, yes, yes. Can we, you know, like we tried to make everything possible. I think occasionally it was like, I think just outside of the realms of what was allowable by physics. I'm going to ask a couple, couple more questions and then open it to the floor. There's a, a roving mic. I almost said a raving mic. <laughs> so tell us about Zephyr, Zephy. Like, was he always in your mind? Has he been in your work before? Is he exactly as you envisaged? Well, did he come fully formed to the film? On one level, yes. Um, a very unconventional starting point for film craft. I made a monumental painting 12 metres long for a survey show at the um, National Gallery of Victoria. There were four iterations of Zephy in that painting. So for me, visually, he was very realised on that level. Obviously, it's completely different because it's a flat pictorial space, but the decorative quality, the emotional quality, the gender hybrid quality, which was very important to me also, that um, real dichotomy between something being incredibly beautiful and alluring and rich, but then brings you into a safe, fertile place where you have to look at darkness. And these are abstract <laughs> These are abstract qualities. We worked with extraordinary puppeteers. Um, it was a very ambitious puppet for our very experienced <laughs> puppeteers. But I also want to say, and I worked with a team that I'd worked with for many years just in particular three studio assistants who were very familiar 
with my painting practice and we actually hand sewed the skin ourselves. Again, I just, that was not something I would trust <laughs> someone I hadn't worked with before. Mm. I bought every Swarovski crystal available in Sydney. <laughs> All the fabrics at Couture. I mean, it, it was a little bit insane, but. <laughs> Julia, did you feel like you had a relationship with Zephy on set? Yeah. Um, I love that dragon, dude. It's. It was very emotional of a last day. It was, everyone was really sad to be leaving the studio and leaving Zephy and, and the puppeteers. And we actually did have like a mini party and saying goodbye to puppeteers in the blow-up pink church on the last day. To anyone, I guess, looking from the outside, Zephy is an inanimate object that, you know, is only animated with the assistance of puppeteers. But when you're in that space with Zephy every day, he becomes, he became so realistic and being able to just be so close to him and not be like, hey, can you move this way? Like acting off a stick. It was amazing to fully immerse myself in that. And well, it was going to be in the film, but it's in the flash. I did get on Zephy's back and ride the dragon. There was, it was, there were lights, there were fans. It was a never ending story moment. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't the film, which was great, but it's crazy that we got to have that huge of a puppet with that expansive of an ability to portray a massive rainbow dragon on screen. Where is he now? He is gently wrapped in one of my studio spaces. Yeah. <laughs> gently wrapped in what exactly? Calico. <laughs> <laughs> a last question before I open it to the floor. I told you earlier that how much I love the little dolls that came up on the ladders and tell the audience what you told me. The doll was actually my mother's doll as a child. I lost my mother a few years ago to cancer. Um, so for me, and look, I'm a very sentimental person. Um, to have that other layer of sentimental presence in the film for me and it being about Rainbow Lay's doll basically comes up to save her mothership. Um, so for me, I, there was a whole other emotional journey I was going on with that doll. Who's got a question and where is the microphone? Ah, there we go. Hi, I'm just wondering what your choice of doing practical effects on screen and then the decision to put things into post-production. Just wondering what your decision making was with that. I feel like I'm using the word passion a little bit too much today, but something I am very passionate about is capturing things in camera as much as possible. Again, I think, you know, I, I'm a worker in my studio practice, I think, with my hands. It's very hard to do that with film craft, but I wanted to do that as much as possible. Um, and I think more importantly for me personally, the films that have shaped me the most over the years are often, yeah, films that have on one level what might be described as like naive effects, but for me they have an emotional agency at, a level of material authenticity brings a, a greater emotionality to the story. That's just been my experience and I really wanted to make, I wanted the film to be, you know, unapologetically handmade, which, which it can't be. That, that's not the totality of film craft and I would never want to not acknowledge the extraordinary work that we did in VFX also. But the authenticity of the puppet moving in space with Blaze, I just don't think you can recreate that. It, the alchemy is there or it's not. Mm. Questions? 
one here and then one near the pole. Congratulations to everybody. I feel like I've been through a really profound visceral experience uh, about really deep issues and I'm familiar with your work, Del. I'm just wondering what the reaction has been in, say, New York where the audience may not be familiar with your work because it is really, it's just an onslaught of creativity. Thank you for your emotion. I feel you, my friend. Um, the response, in my experience, and you don't know what all the responses are, but was incredibly generous. People have been so moved. And, I mean, for me, as I said before, feminist film, women telling women's stories. But I must admit, some of the incredibly emotional responses I've had from men have been absolutely extraordinary and, again, a, a, a real gift. I had one beautiful middle-aged man approach me at the end of our second screening in New York and he said, I'm a very shy person. I would not normally be moved enough to speak to the creative. He said, I was brought up in a home where, yes, boys were told that boys don't cry. He said, I have just sat in this space and cried for an hour and a half and I want to thank you for that experience. I was like... What more can you ask for, really? Yeah. I just have a question, and congratulations, I thought the film was um, amazing. I just have a question about the rehearsal process, if any, in particular with Simon and Julia. I felt those scenes were just incredibly grounded in amongst all the, you know, the imaginative um, elements, and if you could talk a little bit about that. Um, well, Simon made a point of... You know, when we first, well, I'll go back to the last audition that I did. I, all the girls that were there read with Simon and he said that, and I, we both felt that there was just this connection and we were both, you know, really excited and there was no nervousness and we just really brought out a lot of fun in each other. And when I did get cast, he made a point of coming over to my house and we went for a walk around the block just to get to know each other. And I think there's always been that grounded quality with the both of us. And he's a, he's a great bloke, you know, and he's always been very fatherly in his scenes with me and just in his manner that we act with each other. And I think it was amazing to be able to have had that and not have to, you know, force anything. Mm -hmm. And in rehearsal, as I said, it was just amazing to be able to really get into it before we started filming. You know, you just get used to the spaces, paint some clay dragons and just really get into Blazer's world. And just set up a journey approaching the emotion. I mean, they're big places to go. I knew that Julia had it in her. Um, and in fact, the part of the film that, and we had our DOP come in and shoot it, was the final scene. We were pairing to some extent <laughs> in the auditioning process, but I needed, I mean, 90 scenes and she's 12. I needed to know that she could go there and had the stamina and the emotional intelligence. And actually that scene, Sam and I at the end, it was like, like if they'd been in costume and we'd been on set, mm. we, that probably would have made the edit actually. And then Simon and, and our DOP, who's a very experienced, amazing DOP, he shed a tear as well. Like what happened between the two of them um, in rehearsal was really extraordinary. Yeah. Questions? 
Uh, Del, firstly, thank you and thank you to your amazing crew for putting in the work to make these stories come alive. What advice would you give to people who want to be visual storytellers that empower people to discuss challenging topics like you've done with Blaze? What I want to say, <laughs> two words, go hard. <laughs> Look, I feel so blessed and I I still pinch myself because somehow, although it's a medium that has always informed my studio practice innately, I, I kind of feel like the film world found me in a way. And more than anything, my experience of the film world is about relationships. And that takes time and it is a long game. And it's about nurturing the right kind of dialogues with people that you feel a deep connection with. And I can see you. You've got that instinct. <laughs> and it's about perseverance. Um, someone very famous in the fine arts world said, you know, 3% talent, 97% perseverance, 100%, 100%. The other thing I'll say, and this will sound brutal, if you can live without making your work, live without it, you will be happier. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is a question for you, Julia. What was your favourite scene to film and why? That's a really big question. <laughs> the whole thing was just a whirlwind of fun and glitter. I'll add the entire crew, and I was speaking to someone of the crew last night at the premiere. One of our grips on the camera said that he was cleaning out, you know, the dolly, which is, you know, put the camera on it, for those of you who don't know, and he found googly eyes and glitter still in it. <laughs> Two years later, I had glitter in my hair, my ears, my waterline for, like, weeks <laughs> and weeks after shooting. But I have to say, the Rage Dance shooting, that was pretty up there. It was, again, 11 o'clock at night, and it was a slanted laneway, and there was a padding and leaves. It was just flashing lights and water being spritzed, and there was music just blasting, and it was so fun to be able to just go for it mm. and have uh, Jeremy, our DOP, he was on Steadicam, and he was just following me around and just the encouragement from everyone. We, we were having a rave. It was a party. It was so fun. Um, I will say that, you know, the scenes involving huge blood spurts were fun. You know, the in the, people have seen the film, right? So the sleigh at the end, and it was, remember Julia on set? So she's got blood just pouring into her face, into her eyes, it was into her mouth. It was supposed to be spraying for three seconds and it sprayed for six. Just, and then she just spits the blood out and roars. And it was like, that's our warrior. <laughs> I, was, I was running I around set just opening my eyes because I was completely red and then it was white. And Someone that I want to acknowledge and going back to your question actually in terms of rehearsal is... We worked with an extraordinary professional dancer, Dimitri his name is, he, he dances for Sydney Dance Company, he's absolutely extraordinary. And again, it was just so important to give Julia the relationships and the tools to stay loose in her being, to stay present in her being. Like, she's a little person on set, it still has to be fun, it still has to be silly. So to shake it out and totally the rage dance, and I'm so impressed that that's the scene you talked about because you were you were really nervous about that scene as well. I was nervous about but a lot Sam of things. And I, Sam and I and a few of the other women were just making an epic pulls of ourselves, you know, <laughs> like 
It was a meter left of camera. <laughs> like, it wasn't shown, but we we shot free range dancers in three different locations. One was yes. in the jiu-jitsu center, and all the makeup ladies were on the sideline, just like yeah. whooping <laughs> and with their brushes and just like getting into it. And then one was filmed in the ocean, which was such rave dude it was so fun just splashing about there were some angry teenagers yelling at us on the cliff yeah they told us to take our netflix and f off so that yeah. was really fun yeah. um but you know i was just getting into it um and then you know we did it in the lane way but they're big scenes and i was really nervous about especially the bus scene because as i said going crazy in front of a bunch of people is is a big thing but again i was so supported by everyone and there was such an air of excitement for what we were making every day I'll admit a, a, a small, um, I feel like I failed you on that day just a little bit because um, we had spoken at length about the bus scene and can we all agree Julia's performance um, for that beat is just so moving and so raw and I just kept promising her if she nailed it first time it would be a one take only and she did. I mean she, she had bruises on her hands like she she unleashed, she, she went there like and then it was like oh, holy shit, that was only the wide. And now we need the medium. And then we need the close-up. <laughs> we, did it, we did it six times. We did it six times. Yes, I counted. We did it six times. But I just want to publicly apologise to it's you. It's okay, now. babe. It's fine. There was lots of bashing on the window. I was, we were a little worried it would get broken, but sturdy bus. Julia, how was it for you seeing the film? Cathartic. I was so overwhelmed because I saw it for the first time at Tribeca. And just being there with Del and Sam and my mom and everyone who was involved, it was it was an experience I'll never forget. And especially the opening credits and really everything, I just was so fulfilled and felt so proud because I'd waited a while. Um, and it's just a beautiful thing that Del and everyone and Sam has created. And I'm still pinching myself that I was able to be a part of it. Is it what you expected? Better. It was Boom. <laughs> um, I think there was and Simon said this and you know we talked about how cool it was to have been able to do a film with such detail and amazing graphics and have all of that stay and be maximized in the film and nothing was taken away from it because you didn't imagine it one way and have it not come out that same way on screen everything was better than we'd expected it was just one thing after another like there would be a blood explosion and then another blood explosion and then glitter and then you'd ride your dragon like everything it was just crazy and being able to see it for the first time completely finished because there were opportunities where I could click on a link and have a little peek but I decided to wait and it was so worth it questions uh so thanks for the film it was uh really good um I focusing on the sort of father and daughter role on that one um there's a bit of seriousness to it um in terms of the support that's offered to blaze and the character and it from my point of view it looked completely inadequate in terms of um how much of that is dramatized and how much of that is real i mean in the writing process together we did do quite a lot of research into that um hannah also really did research into that it was actually really important to us from the beginning that the structures around blaze were not adequate and were not talking a language she understood about actually meaningfully processing what she'd seen um, and there is a lot of research around child witnesses, particularly in these kinds of cases, not being treated well at all or respectfully or heard. And the, pro- the processes, just in terms of legally, you know, the police, the therapist, 
I mean, as you can see in the film, there is a point where she does meet a therapist who actually can speak to her and hear her and connect with her. But um, a lot of that care is, is inadequate. And I think that was really important to Blaze's story from the beginning because this is a, this is a character who has to find her own way through and that, that power of the imagination she has inside her is luckily the way she can find through. So that was, yes, it, I mean, that was a very deliberate choice and it was researched. And unfortunately, it's quite common. Questions? Thank you. Catherine, you were a brilliantly successful visual artist. You won the Archibald twice with magnificent works. Then you've now moved into film. Is it possible to come back to the visual arts? For me, um, the symbiotic relationship between the film work and the studio work is profound. Um, I actually had a large solo show here in Sydney that came down only three weeks ago at my gallerist, um, Ross and Oxley Nine Gallery. It's a big question for me and it has something, it, it is something that I've thought a lot about. Moving into film, I thrive on long solitary hours in the studio. That is definitely my strength and I'm a real workhorse in that way. I had reached a point in my career where I feel very privileged to have the position that I do have in the Australian art world um, but it can be a lonely place as well. So certainly for me in terms of um, continuing to grow as a creative and grow alongside very talented people, the film craft and the, the collaborative nature of that has been a very, very life-giving, important experience for me in that way. And I would like to think that I will continue to do both. Are there any uh, outtakes or beats that didn't make the final cut that you wish you could show people or wish they could have seen? My friend, hundreds, <laughs> hundreds. <laughs> and if I had done the edit myself, it would have been such a big hot mess because <laughs> I get very attached. <laughs> that was a very hard process for me. Probably one of the hardest, the editing process, yeah. They're all, everything you shoot is a baby <laughs> that you, you want to share with the world, yeah. Is there a lucky last question? Hi. Um, amazing. Absolutely stunning. Catherine, my question for you is, obviously visual art is something that is incredibly personal and I just want to know sort of your process in working with producers and actors and a whole film team and that's something very new for you um, in terms of feature length. How do you consolidate that creative process and how do you, I guess, um, kill your darlings in that sense because you want to keep everything in and it is really personal? How did you find that collaborative process on a feature film? One thing that I've become very good at as a mid-career artist is editing very efficiently through people that I know that I can work with and that I know I, I can't work with. So my answer to your question is I, I'm also quite a conflict averse person. I think my strength is that I look for connection and I trust that connection. And once that connection is felt, I just speak my truth and become very vulnerable in that process. But, you know, vulnerability is, you have to turn vulnerability into a kind of superpower. Does that answer your question? <laughs> I've made a terrific film. Please give them a warm round of applause. <laughs>